0: Our Bible reading this morning is Acts chapter 16, Acts chapter 16. I'm going to read from verse 11, Acts 16, beginning to read at verse 11 to the end of the chapter. The book of Acts in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John and Acts, chapter 16, and beginning to read at verse 11. Let's hear the word of God. From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace and the next day on to Neapolis. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city of that district of Macedonia. And we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who was a worshipper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. This girl followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so troubled that he turned round and said to the spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. When the owners of the slave girl realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open, and everybody's chains came loose. They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his family were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God he and his whole family. When it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with the order, release those men. The jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave, go in peace. But Paul said to the officers, they beat us publicly without a trial, even though we are Roman citizens and threw us into prison. And now, do they want to get rid of us quietly? No. Let them come themselves and escort us out. The officers reported this to the magistrates, and when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. They came to appease them and escorted them from the prison, requesting them to leave the city. After Paul and Silas came out of the prison, They went to Lydia's house where they met with the brothers and encouraged them. Then they left. Well, can I take you back to that passage that we just read in Acts chapter 16? And these are all events that took place in Philippi. Philippi was a Roman colony in Macedonia, a garrison town. Now, why would the Romans put a detachment of soldiers in that particular town? Well, it's because it was a gateway into mainland Europe. From Philippi, you could travel uh, across the Aegean Sea to the east, uh, and you would go into what we know as Turkey, Asia Minor then. And uh, from There, you could travel as far east as you wanted. But if you turned the other way and went west from Philippi, you would be on mainland Europe and you'd be able to travel anywhere. So Philippi was a very significant and important trading post from east to west and from west to east. It was on the travel route And so it was ideally situated as part of the Roman Empire for them to have a garrison there. And so it was a Roman colony. It was also the first European city to hear the gospel as the Apostle Paul and his companions Silas and others travelled that short distance across the Aegean Sea to bring the good news of Jesus to people who desperately needed it. Not that that was part of Paul's original plans. He had no plan to go into Europe. He was planning to stay in what we know as Turkey. He hoped to sort of double back on himself and travel along the north coast of of Turkey. That was his plan to go into Bithynia, as it was called then. But in a vision one night the Holy Spirit clearly led him and his companions to go to Macedonia. And when they arrived there, the Lord confirmed that this was where he wanted them to be because there were two significant conversions, possibly three, if you include the slave girl, within a few days. Lydia and the Philippian jailer are most significant conversions. These two and their households form the core of the church in Philippi that later on Paul writes to in that lovely letter to the Philippians. So today I want us to compare these two converts, Lydia and the Philippian jailer, so that we can learn lessons about the wonderful work of God in saving men and women. And boys and girls like you and like me. But what does it mean to be converted? Sometimes we talk about our conversion. Christians talk about being converted. What does that actually mean? Well, we could talk about things like regeneration, the new birth. We could talk about justification by faith. We could talk about substitutionary atonement, repentance, and the forgiveness of sins. But all of those things are very long words. They are great and important doctrines in the Bible. And as we go on in the Christian faith, we will learn a lot about all of that. But I want to put it this morning as simply as I possibly can. Being converted means becoming a Christian. It means being saved by Jesus. There is a a lovely hymn in our hymn books. We have heard the joyful sound, Jesus saves. Spread the tidings all around. Jesus saves. Bear the news to every land. Climb the steeps and cross the waves. Onward, tis our Lord's command. Jesus saves. Well, Priscilla Jane Owens, who wrote that hymn, got it right, didn't she? Jesus saves. Being converted means being saved. How is a person saved? Well, not by anything that they do themselves, but by what Jesus does. Jesus saves. He's the one who does it. It is Jesus who makes people Christians. What does he do? He saves them. But what does that mean? Well, to be saved essentially means to be taken from the worst possible situation and being put in the best possible situation. That's what it means to be saved. And both of these people, Lydia, and the Philippian jailer, were in the worst possible situation before Jesus saved them. But then they were in the best possible situation after Jesus saved them. Now you might say, well, it doesn't look like that. Lydia seemed to be getting on quite nicely, didn't she? Let's think about her for a moment. She was a woman. That's important. Jesus saves men and women. She was a wealthy woman as well. We're told that she was a dealer in purple cloth. So she was a businesswoman. She lived in a large house in Philippi. Large enough to have servants, possibly, because it mentions her household. And her household included servants possibly children as well. She may have been a widow. We don't know that, though. But she was a religious woman. She came from a place called Thyatira, which was over in modern-day Turkey. She was a a Jewess, or possibly a convert to Judaism, because she was there in the place of prayer on the Sabbath day, outside the, the city by the river, She was there with the other women, the Jewish women, worshipping God. So Lydia seemed to be in a reasonably good situation, didn't she? Everything seemed to be okay. But I'm telling you, she was in the worst possible situation in her life because she didn't know Jesus Christ. Her sins had not been forgiven. She did not know God She was in the worst possible situation because she was still under the wrath of God for her sins. Her Jewish observance could never save her. She needed Jesus. She needed to know him, and she needed him to save her. And Jesus does save people like Lydia, wealthy, well-to-do business people. Even people who are very religious and have a religious background. Jesus saves people like that. It may be that you're like that today. That you are reasonably well off. All of us, in comparison with most of the world, are reasonably well off, aren't we? It may be that you have got on in the world and you're, you're doing quite well, thank you. It may be that you're quite religious And you do observe certain forms of religion. Well, Lydia did all of that, but she still needed to be saved. The other person is the Philippian jailer. Of course, he was a man. Jesus saves men and women, boys and girls. We don't even know his name, but we know quite a bit about him. He was tough. He certainly knew how to handle a sword. He was living in the jail with his family because that was his job. He he lived on the job, didn't he? He worked for the Romans. Possibly he was a Roman himself. He doesn't seem to have had any prior religious knowledge. He was quite different in that respect from Lydia And when we say that he was in the worst possible situation, you would say, well, of course he was, especially at that point when he was about to commit suicide. You say, yeah, you don't get much lower than that, do you, in life? That desperation, that situation where everything seems completely hopeless. And here is a man devoid of any religious knowledge. And here's a man who is at the point of taking his own life, not knowing where he's going to be thrust when he gets to eternity. You say, well, of course, he was in the worst possible situation. But I'm telling you, they were both in exactly the same desperate situation. Both of them needed Jesus to save them. So here is this Philippian jailer. And maybe you're like him today. A working man, very down to earth, very rough and ready. Not really religious at all, not having paid much attention to those things. The circumstances of our conversions will differ widely. If we were to ask one another, what was life like for you when you grew up? Were you a religious person or not really religious? Did you go to church? Did you go to Sunday school? Or didn't you? Had you ever heard the name of Jesus before you were saved? We'll have lots of different responses. What sort of family background do you have? Was it wealthy? Was it poor? Did you struggle? What sort of a job did you have? What sort of a person were you and are you? We're all going to be different. Just as Lydia and the Philippian jailer, you really couldn't find two people that were at further extremes in terms of their personality, their background and so on. But both of them needed to be saved. The circumstances of our conversions will differ widely. But there are some things that always happen when someone is saved. We're going to look at the differences today, and then we'll look at the similarities. First of all, the differences, and then the similarities. Why are we doing this today? Well, there's no greater need than to be saved. You and I have no greater need in this world. Whatever we might think at this moment about our needs and our circumstances, we have no greater need in this world than to be saved. That is why Jesus came into the world. It is a message that Christians have been given to take to all the world, the message that Jesus saves. And above everything else, we need to be absolutely certain that we are saved. And we can be certain of that. We must must, um, never compare ourselves with somebody else and say, well, I I don't have that experience. I'm not like that Lydia. Um, I can't be saved. I'm not like her. No, you don't have to be like her. You're like yourself, aren't you? But just as she was so unlike the Philippian jailer, so you, being unlike anybody else, still need to be saved. Don't say, oh, I didn't have that experience, so I can't be saved. The most important thing in life is to know that you are saved, and only Jesus saved. So let's look at the differences then. First of all, we'll concentrate on Lydia. Some conversions are powerfully gentle. Lydia was just going about her regular Sabbath religious duties. She was down by the river with the other women and they were praying together. It probably was a very welcome day off from her work as a dealer in purple cloth. A quiet day, a day for meditation, a day for thinking through the Jewish faith and reciting the prayers and going through the ceremonial washings. That's why they were down by the river. Most likely there were not 10 Jewish men in Philippi, therefore they couldn't have a synagogue there. But these women gathered together in a suitable place in order to worship God. She certainly believed in God, but she didn't know Jesus and she wasn't saved. The strangers came along, men who were prepared to come and sit down with a group of women. That in itself must have been strange. But as part of their Jewish service, they were able to invite Paul to speak. That's what happened. You could invite someone to speak and Paul waited, presumably, until he was invited to speak, and then he did. There were several strangers who came that day to join them. There were at least four men there. There was Paul, there was Silas, and there was Timothy, because at the beginning of the chapter, we read that Timothy joined them on that journey. And there was also Luke, the man who wrote the book of Acts, because he says, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace in verse 11. So there's at least four People, Paul and three companions are there. And she listens to what Paul is saying. And as she listens to what Paul is telling her about Jesus, so something wonderful happened in her heart. She found that what they were saying made sense to her. It all made sense. It all clicked into place. She was able to say, yes, I think you're right. That is true. It touched her heart, not just her mind, but it touched her heart. And she realized and she was convinced that she needed this Jesus to save her. And he did. He opened her heart and she responded to the message of Paul. And she knew that she would never be the same again. She had become a believer in the Lord Jesus. That's how she describes herself from that moment on. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said. So she was now a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And she shared this experience and good news with the rest of her household. It's the first thing she did. is She told everybody else. They may have been with her, some of them, but she told them all. This is what's happened to me. Jesus has come into my life and he's changed me completely. And they were all saved. And they were all baptized. So her house then became the first base for the Philippian mission and the base for the church in Philippi. Now some conversions are like that, aren't they? They are powerfully gentle. Something powerful happened in her heart, but it happened so gently that you could have been forgiven for thinking that nothing had happened. She was just sitting there, listening, and she was convinced in her mind. And in her heart, she responded. And from that moment on, she was a new person in Christ. And some conversions are like that. silent, silently, hearts are opened as the word of God is heard and people are converted. It may be that This morning there's someone here, and that's the way that you were saved. You were sitting in a church, hearing a sermon like this, and when you came into the church, you were not a Christian, but by the time you'd gone out, you'd been convinced in your mind, and your heart had been changed, and God had come into your life, and Jesus was now your savior. Some conversions are wonderfully gentle, but yet very powerful. So that's Lydia. Let's look at the Philippian jailer, because here we see that some conversions are dramatically sudden. The Philippian jailer was quite different to Lydia, and his story of coming to Christ was very different too. This happened a few days or probably weeks after the conversion of Lydia. The Philippian jailer was safely tucked up in bed that night, and he was asleep. It had been a normal day for a jailer. Two strangers, travelers, had been arrested. They'd been charged with throwing the city into an uproar. Yes, most likely the charges had been trumped up, and certainly the people who were accusing them had appealed to the prejudice of the people in Philippi because uh, they didn't say, oh, we're losing money because of these two men. They said, oh, these men are Jews. So immediately there was this anti-Semitism, there was this prejudice against them, and then they did appeal to, to some sort of nationalism because they said, we're Romans and we shouldn't do these things. And, of course, the whole city then turned against Paul and Silas. Luke and Timothy clearly weren't there at the same time and so they weren't involved in this but Paul and Silas were and uh, and they'd been arrested and they had uh, they'd been dragged before the magistrates and then they'd been beaten severely and then they had been brought to the jailer. Magistrates had given strict instructions that they were to be put in the most secure place in the prison. So the jailer had them put in the inner cell and he fastened their feet in the stocks but there was something about these men that had already impressed this jailer no doubt in my mind he would have discussed this with his wife before they laid down that night those men he would have said they didn't respond in the way that prisoners normally respond they didn't kick out they didn't shout they didn't protest their backs were bleeding from severe beatings but they seemed almost not to notice that and he would no doubt have told her and perhaps the rest of the family as well these people seem to have accepted that beating and that imprisonment almost to welcome it they didn't struggle they didn't swear they didn't hit out at their accusers. And so he went off to bed, puzzled. And then there was that strange sound, perhaps as he was dropping off to sleep, the sound of singing and praying. that could be heard throughout the prison. It sort of quietened everybody down. Very odd. He'd never known a day like that. But he was certainly never to know a night like this because he was suddenly startled awake by a terrible shaking of the ground. And he knew what this meant, an earthquake. And it was a very severe one, one that jolted him into action. This was a big one. Jail was being destroyed. The doors were off their hinges. The prisoners surely would all escape. So he grabbed his sword and he ran into the prison and he was about to kill himself. His life was certainly not worth living now. He had failed in his primary duty. He would be executed for sure and no doubt be tortured before that. Best to get it over with and take his own life. This was it, he felt. This was the moment he was going to die. But no. One of these new men stops him and assures him that no one is missing. Such authority these men seem to have. It must be from God. Oh, to be like them. Maybe he had heard the rumours. Maybe he had heard, even in the streets, that uh, slave girl shouting out. She followed them several days, didn't she? These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. That's what she was saying. And the news must have gone around the town that these men were saying something about salvation. They were saying something about being saved. Possibly he'd heard that. But even if he hadn't, one thing was certain. He knew now that he needed to be saved. He knew now that the most important thing in his life was to be right with God. He needed his life sorted out. He was in a desperate place. And these men clearly knew the answer Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And Paul answers straight away with the clearest, simplest statement of the Christian faith. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household. That's it. Paul didn't have a long time to go into regeneration, sanctification, justification, substitution, atonement, Christ on the cross. Believe, he says, on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. And it's not just for you, your whole household as well. And he was. Conversions don't get much more dramatic than that, do they? Maybe your conversion was like that. Many people who have been brought to the lowest point in their lives, even to the point of deciding that it all has got to end, that there is no future, that it's all got to be over, and even contemplating that most desperate of actions, suicide. But then God intervenes. God steps in and they are saved. Or maybe not as dramatic as that, but certainly a powerful sudden conversion. So different from Lydia's, isn't it? Because all conversions are different in that respect. All the circumstances are going to be different. God has his way of bringing you to the point where he wants you to be. But now let's look at the similarities. All conversions are the work of God through his word. All conversions are the work of God through his word. Whether your conversion was powerfully gentle or dramatically sudden, it was or will be the work of God. He will do it. You can't save yourself, but God saves. God was at work in saving Lydia and in saving the jailer. It was God who led Paul and Silas and his companions there. It was God who brought Lydia and the jailer into contact with Paul and Silas. It was God who let them hear the word through Paul. Because that's what God does. He allows people to hear the word of God through other Christians. Both Lydia and the jailer heard the word of God. They heard the message about Jesus. Look carefully at verses 13 and 14 with Lydia. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who was a worshipper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. See, it says, "The Lord opened her heart." To respond to Paul's message. It was God who did it. But he opened her heart to respond to what? The message. The message that God wanted her to hear. And then verse 31. Again, it's a message. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. The most simple, straightforward, powerful message that you can have. But then it goes on in verse 32. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. Those weren't the only words that Paul spoke to the jailer. He then explained much more of the gospel, not only to the jailer, but also to the rest of his household. The word was told them. They heard about Jesus. They heard the basics of the gospel. They heard who Jesus is, why he had come what his death meant, how he saves from sin and brings forgiveness, how he was raised from the dead and how he will also be the judge of all people on the last day and how that if they believe and trust in him, they would be forgiven of their sins, they would be saved. All conversions are the work of God through his word. And then a final point, all conversions produce the same fruit all conversions produce the same fruit how do you know that Lydia was saved how do you know that the jailer was saved perhaps even more importantly how do you know that you're saved how do you know that somebody else is saved what is it that you will see in their life if they are saved well it's always the same It's not difficult, it's quite plain, it's not deep, but it is profound. It will be the things that they love and the things that they hate from that moment on. I want to ask you the question this morning what are the things that you love and what are the things that you hate? Because if you are a believer today, if you are saved today, you will, first of all, love God. You will love God. Love for God is the first fruit of being saved. These two people, Lydia and Jayla, they now loved God. Especially, particularly, we say they love Jesus. Because they had seen what he had done for them. They had seen that he had sent Paul and Silas to them. They had heard what Jesus has done on the cross for them, and they loved the Lord Jesus. They believed in him, but that belief is also a love for him. Secondly, love for the word of God. Both Lydia and the jailer loved the word of God. They heard the word of God, and they believed the word of God, and from that moment on, they continued to love The word of God. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus. If you've been saved. You will love the Bible. You will love the word of God. Of all the books in the world. This will be the book that you love. And you will love reading it. You will love hearing it. You will love listening to its message. You will love it. Because it leads you to the saviour. And to a depth of understanding of him. Love for God. Love for the word of God. Thirdly. Love for the people of God. One of the key evidences that someone has been saved is that from that moment on, they love the people of God. Listen to Lydia in verse 15. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. There was nothing she wanted more than to have the people of God in her house. There's nothing she wanted more than to serve them, care for them, meet their needs, and have fellowship with them. Because that's what happens when you're saved. You know that you belong to the people of God and you love them. What about the jailer? Well, he certainly loved Paul and Silas, didn't he, after his conversion? He took them in the middle of the night and washed their wounds. He cared for them. He put a meal in front of them. He cared for their needs because he loved them now. They were his people. They were part of his spiritual family. And if you are saved, you will love the people of God. Ask yourself the question, where do you belong? Where do you fit? Do you fit in with the people of the world or do you fit in with the people of God? Are they your people? If you are saved, then you will love the people of God, and you will want to be with the people of God. And then, fourthly, hatred. There is one thing that all Christians hate, and that is sin. Love for God, love for God's word, love for the people of God, but hatred of sin. How do we know that Lydia and the jailer both hated sin? Because they were baptized. In their baptism, both Lydia and the jailer were saying, we've turned our backs on that old life of sin. We are no longer going to live that way. Our old life has been washed clean, and this water is symbolizing the washing. Isn't it wonderful? Just Just as the jailer washed the wounds of Paul and Silas, so he in turn had his sins washed away symbolically by baptism. They hated sin from that moment on. They turned their back on it and they showed it by their baptism. That's the fruit. How do you know that you're saved? How do you know that anybody is saved? Because you will love God, you will love his word, you will love his people, and you will hate sin. Whatever your particular circumstance and experience of being saved, which will differ from person to person in so many ways, there will always be these fruits of salvation. Do you see them in yourself? If you do, then you can have that assurance, can't you, that there is evidence that Jesus has come into your heart and has saved you. I pray that it is so. Amen. Shall we close our meeting with prayer? Heavenly Father, God and Lord, we thank you for your word and we thank you for these remarkable conversions that are written for our instruction and our encouragement. We thank you that you save in different ways. We thank you that you save from different backgrounds. We thank you that no one is outside of the possibility of salvation for you save all types of people, all ages. We thank you, Lord, that you save people from all over the world And we thank you that you are able to save even now. We pray, O Lord, that if there's anyone listening today who is not yet saved, that you would open their heart as you did for Lydia and that you would come in and make them anew. We ask these things in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen.